living down here to sure a drain on my patience. I'm only the hypothalamus. I only monitor all the automatic functions of the body. All the things you don't need to worry about. I'm used to being taken for granted. Blink, blink, breathe, breathe. Day in, day out. Never a thank you, never a job well done. Hey, time to play that exciting new game show, You Bet Your Hook! Hello again, everyone. We'll be getting underway momentarily. Bravo 229er, are you ready to initiate launch? That is affirmative control. All systems go. W Radio. Your information station. Hello and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 405 for the week of May 10th, 2015. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, videos, blog, live broadcasts, special events, books, audio tours, and more. Whether you are planning your first vacation or love the history, secrets, stories, and details, there's something here for you. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and find everything else over at www.radio.com. This week, we'll head outside the parks to visit Typhoon Lagoon, a place which, like the parks, is replete with long history, in-depth backstory, wonderful details, and of course, plenty of fun attractions for the whole family. We'll explore everything from its origins to its connection to Pleasure Island and tips on how to get the most out of your day at my favorite Walt Disney World water park. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and then I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show as I'll have more information about upcoming meets of the month in Walt Disney World, other special events, and your voicemails. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. opened in October 1971, it was regarded as the vacation kingdom of the world. And like everything Disney has done from the early days of the studios to Disneyland and of course Walt Disney World itself, it was something new and innovative and unlike anything anyone had experienced before. It was immersive, themed entertainment that was focused first and foremost on cohesive story and detail, even over what the ride systems that they might be using would be. And that's remained true as the resort continued and continues to expand. And less than five years after Walt Disney World opened, Disney introduced Disney's River Country, the first water park at the Walt Disney World Resort on June 20th, 1976. Located near and actually considered part of Fort Wilderness Resort on the shores of Bay Lake, it was arguably not just the first water park in Walt Disney World, but really the first themed water park in the United States. And like everything else, it wasn't just about the rides, it was about story. And when Typhoon Lagoon opened on June 1st, 1989, that tradition continued. So this week, we're going to take a detailed look at Disney's second water park, from its origins to detailed backstory, attractions, and more. And joining me is a man who loves a good story, yet still wishes deep down that he could frolic in the waters of Bay Lake. He is Ryan Wilson Matua 
of Main Street Gazette fame. Welcome, my friend. Good to be here. It is good to have you back. And uh, I know as I was talking about that and thinking about that, I think probably the memories of of you of River Country and when we talk about Water Park is probably where your mind went first. It was. I, we started talking about it. I was like, yeah, River Country. And, and I'd actually been doing some looking at that this week and having that first themed water park and have it so closely fit to Fort Wilderness and really, you know, because I'm that child of like Frontierland, having kind of that feel to it. It, it was where my memories for water park started at Disney World. And I think really it is where the story of Typhoon Lagoon begins, right? Because like you said, it, it was going to be part or was part of a Fort Wilderness, really sort of an extension of that, although it was open certainly to, to guests even who weren't staying at the resort. Um, it was actually originally it was meant to be sort of this old swimming hole, right? From the stories of Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, they were going to have rope swings and the sandy bottom, which was a very new concept at the time. Originally, a little bit of trivia, it was supposed to be called Pop's Willow Grove. That was the original name for what uh, Tom, uh, Tom's Royale, right? River Country was, uh, was supposed to be. And they did a lot of really unique things, right? And it really was about theming and story. It wasn't just about putting up water slides and, and rope bridges because they had, you know, rocks and caves. And, and Fred Yerger, who did all the, a lot of the rock work on a lot of the attractions like uh, um, Big Thunder and Tom's Royale Island, did the rock work there. And they had pebbles in the stream beds. And it was a concept that they weren't even sure was going to work. Like, would people go and pay extra for this themed water park, which honestly wasn't very big. It was only about the quarter of the size of what Typhoon Lagoon is now. And I joked with about you swimming in the, the waters of Bay Lake, but that's really what you were doing, right? You were swimming in the water yeah. of Bay Lake that was pumped through the inside, this, the, these artificial mountains and waterways. Yeah, and you had the bladders that would kind of let the, bring the water in, keep everything on the same on the right level, and it, but it was more about them. It was more about walking these rope bridges and these barrel bridges to get to these attractions, and it was that extension of Tom Sawyer Island where you you could be sitting on the the shores and you weren't seeing the water pumps, you weren't seeing the stairs, you were seeing you know a hillside of rocks and all these water slides and. But but it was that gamble because especially where they had placed it, guests weren't just driving up to the front gates. They were having to park at the beginning of Fort Wilderness and be shuttled back to this park. So were they going to take this this extra step and to to swim in the shores of Bay Lake and to see these you know to see this extra theme when the shores of Bay Lake were literally right there and you could have if you were staying at the resort just gone down to the beach. So were these extra elements going to be enough to bring people in? And listen, you were literally, you weren't swimming on the shores of Bay Lake. You were swimming in the water of Bay Lake, right? <laughs> like, you know, they, uh, they, they pumped it into the mountain and then it was pumped back into Bay Lake, which meant a couple of things. One, that water was cold. Like, that was yes. not, uh, it was, you know, it was great in the summer, maybe not so much in some of the cooler months. But I think what obviously had happened was because they were using that unfiltered water from Bay Lake, there, there were problems with water safety and algae and things like that. And as some of these problems started to mount, Disney, I, I guess, sort of figured, look, rather than try and remedy these problems here at, um, at River Country, let's build a new park instead. And that's really where the idea for this, this completely new gate, this new park was going to come to be. And, and obviously a new water park meant that there had to be a new story. And so trivia, first trivia question, Ryan Wilson, and you the listener, 
the original concept of Typhoon Lagoon was supposed to be themed after a Disney movie. What movie what was it supposed to be? Splash. God, I hate that you know everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get them very often, but when I do... I see that. You, you got it. You got up to bat and you knocked it out of the park. Yeah, so... You know, we, we've talked in the past when we, you know, Michael Eisner, for whatever reason, loved, loved, loved the movie Splash. We talked about how that was the genesis of Splash Mountain, the attraction, because he wanted that, it wanted to be themed after that and sort of as, as a compromise, they included the word Splash in the, uh, in the name of the attraction. But there was a lot of different concepts originally for what this new park was going to be. They had this idea of, a beached cruise ship, a sort of a cruise ship that had washed up, probably wouldn't have bode well for what the Disney Cruise Line would eventually be. So that was a smart move. Smart move. Um, they had this uh, another idea of making it sort of in the middle of a Florida swamp, like like a pre Walt yeah. Disney World Florida swamp, very tropical, very dense Florida foliage, um, and there'd be audio animatronic alligators and things like mm-hmm. that. So two very different concepts before they got to what Typhoon Lagoon was. Definitely, and in you know, going back to the splash concept, I think we can all see where where the interest was. I mean, Daryl Hannah, obviously, <laughs> as a mermaid, that's that's a no brainer for 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 me. Um, but then, yeah, you had this this Florida concept where it was you would have the caves and the lanterns and the the cypress kind of trees, and you'd go into these caves and you'd have these audio animatronics alligators who were interacting. Um, which really didn't come to pass when the park first opened, but is something that we see later on once Blizzard Beach opens and there's and the Gators you know make their re- their triumphant return to the water parks. Yeah, no good idea at Imagineering ever dies, right? So when Blizzard Beach opens in '96, uh, they create a, a new character, the Ice Gator, who was actually so popular that they actually gave him a. Uh, they gave him sort of a, a counterpart at Typhoon Lagoon, which is the, the Laguna Gator. Yeah, and he even got you know Ice Gator was popular, but then Laguna Gator they, they did so much work around developing. He had this amazing backstory when he finally arrived of you know being this great surfer, being this you know movie star, being this this musician in the Beach Gators. Uh, they really developed that story, and actually for a while he was a walk around character. You could actually go and meet Laguna Gator and have your picture taken with him. Yeah, and that's the thing, man. Like, if you go to Typhoon Lagoon and you see the sign that talks about this furious storm that once roared across the sea, catching ships in its path, helpless to flee, instead of a certain and watery doom, the wind swept them here to Typhoon Lagoon. Nice little uh, poetic rhyming backstory, but the story of Typhoon Lagoon is actually much, much, much deeper, and it really goes... They sort of take the story all the way back to the 50s when there's Mm -hmm. this Hurricane Connie that brings like total destruction and devastation to this island that belongs to the the descendants of Meriwether, Meriwether Adam Pleasure. The light bulb should be going off in your head because they connected this backstory brilliantly, although nobody probably got it to Pleasure Island across the street, which was, again, the Meriwether Adam Pleasure was another backstory that people didn't know Mm -hmm. about. Right. This was and, and all of this was coming out in '89. You know, when you think about the Disney MGM Studios were, were opening, Pleasure Island was becoming this, you know, this whole new area of entertainment complex for for guests. And then you had Typhoon Lagoon, and they were they're right across the street from one another. So 
buying those stories and are tying those stories in together was was a no-brainer. But how many people got it aside from me, you, and everyone else who looked at the, the little details on the signs? I don't know, but they did. They took these stories and they said, okay, how do we tie this all together? And you even see that in kind of something the age of the artifacts being around those same times of the destruction levels. Yeah, and you know, I always sort of struggle with this when we talk about story because people say all the time when they start to hear it, they love it, and because they can go to the parks, they can go to the resorts, and all of a sudden they can start piecing the puzzle together, and they didn't even realize that there was a puzzle there. And they say, well, how do I find out more other than listening to the show and reading your blog? Because there is no great big book of Imagineering, right? There is no book that has that story, and I've always struggled with, well... You know, Walt said, you know, don't lay it on with a trowel. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But Mm -hmm. you don't have to sort of, you know, walk them through and show them exactly what it is. But the struggle is how far removed from the experience is the backstory that 99.9% of the guests probably aren't able to to pull together just by walking through the parks. Right. And and you do have those people that want to see that story and want to know the story. But then you see the flip side of that coin is how many of them want that level of immersion that they have to engage with in order to understand what they're seeing. So it's that fine razor's edge that, that you know, we kind of bridge that gap now. We're the person, you know, okay, if you want to find it, you can find it here, but it's not all going to be in one nice, shiny little cover. And I think that's, and I think that's how I'm able to sort of reconcile is that, like, look, at, at, at its most basic level, the, the parks and the park experience is meant for the average everyday guest, the, the, the family of 4.5 that goes to Walt Disney World once every three to five years and is there for the, the, the top level experience, right? The attractions, the shows, the princesses, the foods, the, the whatever. But as you start to come back, and I keep using this, this uh, analogy, sort of you know peeling back layers of the onion, as right. you come back and as you want to learn more, it is there, and I think it does sort of enhance your experience because you are sort of able to – you have a, a richer uh, experience while you're there because now all of a sudden you're looking for things. You're like, oh, I, get, I see why the crooked shutters are there. Like I, I understand why you know, such and such might be there. Definitely, and, and it is that kind of repeat guest experience of, okay, I kind of got this here. Now I've tied this thread from – you know. The, the Matrix Gazette or from the audio guides, whichever way you choose to go, and you got the, you've, you've connect, connected A to B, and now you find C on your own because you are out there. You are peeling back those layers of that onion, and you are finding those, those little nuggets that just make the experience so much more immersive to you. Right, and so for Typhoon Lagoon, obviously the average guest is going to go, all right, well, by virtue of the name itself, obviously some sort of typhoon, that's, that's the, the right. theme of what this is. But I think that they probably don't go beyond that, right? They don't realize that that there was, according to story, this typhoon that changed what was a resort village called Placid Palms Mm -hmm. and the resultant earthquake and the volcanic eruption into what is now the, the, the Typhoon Lagoon Park, right? But as you look around and you see the boats and the nautical island items and the fishing gear and the surfboards and the trees, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe there was like an idea that, that a typhoon came here. And then you see that, that ship tanker uh, over by the reef. You're like, all right, wait a minute. So now I'm getting it. So now Placid Palms is now Leaning Palms because a typhoon really did go here. And as you start to see names and s- shops and, and the, the, the dining locations, you're like, oh, I got it. Like the people that lived here are like, all right, well, 
our our luxury resort was demolished. We're still going to sort of make it a uh, a resort type experience for the guests that want to come. We're going to rebuild this town and make it a different type of experience. And, and you see it down to even you know Mount Mayday and the Mistilli and. Every half hour, there's that, that eruption of water out of the spout. But where is that eruption coming from? There, there is volcanic activity. There's still volcanic activity. And so you tie that, okay, there's obviously been more than one natural disaster here. Or you start looking at all the different marine life around the Shark Reef that really is not native to the area. Obviously, the typhoon had, when it swept across the state of Florida, it deposited these creatures here, and now they have a new home. And it's taking all of these, you know, what could be seen as very disparate threads and putting them together. Right. So let's sort of think about, too, the, the timing of everything, right? This opens in 1989, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, again, it's not just about story, right? It's the world's largest outdoor surf pool, right? Not just a wave pool. You can actually surf there. But sort of putting this into context of everything else that's going on, right? 1989, pretty large expansion of Walt Disney World, right? Disney MGM Studios is opening, Pleasure Island's opening, and again, I talk about this all the time, the person that you really have to thank for all this was Michael Eisner, and and love him, hate him, whatever it might be, the, the exponential growth that was going on at this time, and I think his desire to make sure that the integrity of story was not lost as they were trying to grow so rapidly, I think really is a testament to some of the things that he's done. It, it certainly is. And it's one of those things where you look at not only the rap, you know, the rapidness of the growth, you know, he's competing, he's thinking about universals coming down the street. You know, there's all these people who are going into all these other entertainment complexes that have popped up in the area. How do I keep them, you know, here? How do I engage our guests? But how do I keep that same level of Disney storytelling? And that's a that's a huge weight to put on one person's shoulders. But he took it, he ran with it, and we get these, you know, Typhoon Lagoon and these other great projects as a result. Yeah, and obviously, you know, at the time, you've got some great imaginary imaginaries working, you know, like yeah. Randy Bright and, and things like that. So they make sure. Look, even before you get into Typhoon Lagoon, what I love is that. As you're going down uh, Buena Vista Boulevard, you mm-hmm. see the, the boat on top of the entrance sign, right? As you start to pull into the parking lot, you get those series of street signs, those those old sort of um, like the Burma Shave sort of yeah. roadside signs where they would have like six different signs in consecutive order that would uh, you sort of read as you were going through, right? And the last sign would sort of be like the name of the product. Um, mm-hmm. You would really see that at places like Route 66. You can see it in another Disney park over at, in Cars Land in DCA2, right. but it's one of those neat kind of things, and again, most guests probably say, oh, that's cute, they have these little signs where other people are going, all right, I, I'm getting a sense of where and when this is, because these Burma signs were in, you know, the, the, the late 50s, early mm-hmm. 60s, and it, it's giving you a setting of time and place as to after the, 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 the hurricane, the typhoon that took place, you know, in the mid-50s. Definitely. And then you get people like me who love any kind of wordplay and they're sitting there going, oh, I love this. Oh, look at this couplet. Oh, look at this. And, you know, but it, and it, yeah, you're definitely getting, you know, not only because you have these signs, but you're also getting the sense of what this typhoon wreaked upon the area with the fact that these are pieces of ships that have been, you know, that have obviously been aged and worn, but they're, you know, been taken away from the rest of the ship, not by natural causes and have been nailed to these posts. So you're getting all the pieces in these very small glimpses. And it's kind of setting the scene for you before you even round that last bend into the parking lot. So 
it makes me think of, and this is a Tim Foster go with me here, people. It makes me think when you get to the entrance of Typhoon Lagoon, it makes me think of Adventureland. Why? Because as you start to approach the Swiss family treehouse, you see how the family used pieces of the ship to create right. the lava rock benches and, and their entranceway. They did the same thing here, right? So you've got this, the, the entrance where the booths are made out of pieces of the ships, and you see the cabins and the wheelhouses. You see the nautical flags that spell out Typhoon Lagoon, and then there's another, I guess we could tell them what... Do you know what the other... So one set of nautical flags spells out Welcome to Typhoon Lagoon. Ryan Wilson, the other set of flags, spells out... Oh, I know this because I've looked it up before. <laughs> this should be... Maybe we'll make this this week's trivia question. Oh, I can I think of it. Let me see. Alta Vista is your, is your friend. Are you looking this... <laughs> no, I'm not looking this up. Because I've written an article about it, so I'm, I know I know what it is, and I'm just trying to... We probably have to, we'll have to link to your article. All right, I'm going to give it to you. It says Piranha in Pool. Yes. It says Piranha yes. in Pool. So, But I, I dig that, right? So as maybe mom and dad are going to buy their ticket, the kids can go over and go, oh, I wonder what these flags spell. Or maybe mm -hmm. mom and dad knows, and the kids don't, that the nautical flags actually have a, a representation in terms of letters of the alphabet. And there's a key there, so you can spend a couple yep. of minutes and figure that out. But once you get past the turnstiles, uh, again, it's it's so it's such a deliberate thing uh, about the way that they do it because you don't walk through the gate and then all of a sudden you get this giant image of um, of Typhoon Tilly. It's like walking into Magic Kingdom, right? It's like walking into some of these other lands where you don't get the big reveal until you, you have to like work for it, right? You've got to sort of yeah. follow this winding path, go up the hill, and then all of a sudden there's like that, oh! moment and, and then you see Cinderella Castle or you see the lagoon in front of you. I was saying it's even kind of slower than that. You have this whole, you see the beach patrol, you're walking through the trails. The first view you have of you know the Miss Tilly and the Mount Mayday is framed by these trees and it's kind of, it does feel still off in the distance almost as it, when you're at the transmission tickets and are getting ready to take the trip across Seven Seas Lagoon. And then you can make that one last turn and you come down to the, the shorefront and then it's all right there and it's right in front of you like you're on Main Street. And it's, you know, it's funny if you, it's like, again, Main Street. You know, most people maybe don't take the time because they are making the dash to splash or the race mm -hmm. to space and they don't start slowing down to put the pieces of the, of the puzzle together. Because even here, if you, if you wait a second and the first thing that you see like Main Street USA, the first thing you see is a souvenir shop, right? So you can get the yep. stuff that you need. If you need flip-flops or sunscreen or, or sunglasses or whatever. And it's owned by Singapore Sal. Most people are like, whatever, Singapore Sal. He's obviously a resident there. But here's where the connections and the connecting the dots starts to take place. And I dig this because Sal's girlfriend is Typhoon Tilly, right? right. She has her own uh, restaurant down the street. So the two of them have made a business out of... Um, you know, trying to appeal to the tourists who are coming to this new, um, you know, the, this Leaning Palms Resort. Yeah, and you, and you start to get a sense for some of these residents and, and who they are. I mean, you have a place set up there. <laughs> I do? <laughs> Low oh, tide. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, no, I have a permanent... <laughs> oh, I thought that was you. I'm sorry. I was like, oh, I have a cabana there? Like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but you do, you start seeing you, you, these, these names pop up and it, it gives you a sense of, this is a real world. Somebody lives here. Somebody actually, you know, takes time to, to care for their shop, to maintain their shop, even after this, 
you know, these these devastating events, they're still they're still building their lives here. Right. And so, again, keep going with the, the, the connecting of the dots. You've got Singapore Sal, who's connected to Typhoon Tilly, who, by the way, Typhoon Tilly sounds a lot like Miss Tilly, which is the name of the boat on top of Mount Mayday. Obviously, Mayday is sort of a distress call, a distress call but Mayday is this old shrimping boat out of a town called Safe and Sound, S-A-F-E-N, as in Safe and Sound, Florida. And it's, again, a great use of force perspective because it looks like it's this ginormous boat, but it's actually much smaller, but it looks like – so it makes it look like it's farther away. Right. It's, yeah, it's, it's roughly around six stories or so. And then – but from a distance, it does have this great feel of this gigantic kind of ship. And as you get up closer to it, even that, that gigantic nature of it still holds – true once you're standing there looking at it you know as you're getting ready to to take that crazy slide down um down the mountain on humunga Calabunga. and what's cool is that it's not just you know sort of the the weenie right it's not the weenie at the end of the street it's not mm-hmm. the cinderella castle it's not the thing that draws your eye but it's in it's a it's an element of the experience because again like story the the boat was caught up by the typhoon by the waves and thrown up on top of this volcano but because it's it is sort of an active volcano every half hour or so the water shoots up with steam like 50 foot above and it really um it's really a, a great little bit of a kinetic element that brings it in there as well yeah and it, it kind of one it helps you keep track of time because it's every half hour <laughs> two because you can actually view this from every spot in the park just about it gives you an idea of where you are in location to everything else or where you are in location to say you know where your beach chair is so you know where you where you're at, and, and it, so it gives you all these elements just by sitting right there in the middle of the park. Yeah, and and it's pretty neat because you know the, again the the quote unquote cool lava flow that came down from this volcano is what led to all of the different types of slides and and things like that. And if you look really carefully too, there's great architectural details here as well because. Again, it's making you feel as though you are in old Florida. So you do get mm-hmm. sort of that Key West resort feel. You also get sort of a, a, a thatched roof kind of um, beachside village kind of thing, as well as all the mixtures of the debris and pieces of the ships and things like that. So as you start to sort of maybe, uh, you know, peel it, you know, layer by layer and look at it from a different angles as well it's neat to see again that the thought that was put into how the resort itself was themed definitely and there and there are there's so many stories you do you have all this this tin roof tin siding kind of pieces put together uh you have all of these you know these wooden slat buildings that that definitely speak that you're right that old key west and there are stories everywhere. You know, I think my favorite is probably over by Storm Slides. There's a capsized boat that you – know, a little boat that has you know, just married a banner behind it. Obviously, this marriage is already on the rocks. Um, <laughs> and I think that's my favorite little story. But there's, there's these little stories everywhere to catch and that ties into this, this is this one village. This is you know, a community and we're just kind of passing through. We're the tourists. Even when the, uh, the – uh, park expanded back in 2005. Mm-hmm. They made sure that they weren't just going to put in sort of uh, another of the Keystone attractions. When they built Crush and Gusher, it wasn't just, okay, we need another fun multi-slide ride system here. They wanted to keep it true to the storyline. So 
They right. create, again, an elaborate backstory about how this was an old fruit washing and packing plant, also damaged by the storm. And this again, you and I love the, the, the signage, right? So mm-hmm. the name of the company was Tropical Amity Fruit Explore, Exporters, which who are your your friends from the tropics. But they're able to sort of take that and build onto that about their produce is gushing with taste. And now the slides are things like banana blaster and coconut crusher and pineapple plunger. And now instead of tropical amity, it's tropi calamity, right? So Mm -hmm. they've taken, again, like the rest of the residents, they've taken this devastating uh, natural event that happened and made lemons out of lemonade. Wait, sorry, strike that, reverse it. Lemonades out of lemons. (laughs) Right, and they even you know, and they even considered you know the fact that this area, they're recovering an area of this island that's been there forever. So they named the area Hideaway Bay. In other words, it's always been there. It was just hidden. You didn't see it <laughs> until we opened it up in two thousand and five for you. So it's so it's keeping that it's keeping you in that element, and that the residents have you know they they are they're making the lemonade out of the lemons. Um, I'm surprised we don't have a, a Crush and Gester slide that with that kind of a name. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because you know and. When I go to places like this, um, and actually we did a meet of the month at Typhoon Lagoon there a long, long time ago. I think actually we did it over by Crush and Gusher. Um, we have to do that again this summer. You need to come down for that, Ryan Wilson. Um, if you look at the signage, right, because most people are rushing to get like off the slide and get right back on the slide. I like to slow down and look at the signs because you can almost get a sense that before this calamity happened, when you look at signs that say, like, wash flumes are not to be used for recreational purposes, no horseplay, right. it makes you feel like, okay, I'll bet you that before this happened, the employees were probably we're going down. Right, this, right. They had their crates, and they were going down that slide no matter you know, no matter what fashion they had. Yeah, uh, and it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's amazing how this concept for this park that they weren't look the first park they didn't know if it was going to work at all and this one was so very successful that they're able to sort of build on it and create another park blizzard beach with uh, another storyline and look the 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 water park even though it's closed for uh, like three months out of the years for the sort of the normal refurbishments it's it's incredibly popular right it, it is super super popular and again i sort of wonder how many of the people even the the locals that are repeat visitors how many people sort of dig down and start putting some of these pieces of the storyline together right you know i mean you have the typhoon waterworks you have all these pieces and it's all cobbled together pieces as you as you especially as you're, if you're on you know castery creek creek there's so much story in there but how many of us are are you know Nessing around and squirting water at each other, or taking a nap as we float around, that we're missing these pieces like Skippy and all you know, all these pieces that are tying it all together. And I think it's easy to miss a lot of these details, not just in Typhoon Lagoon, but any of the parks, but in Typhoon Lagoon specifically, because there is so much to do here. Like you can really make a full day out of going to Typhoon Lagoon. So maybe let's sort of run through some of. The, the different attractions, because there are a lot. I mean, there's really like a yeah. dozen different slides, and if you count the eight different food and beverage locations, <laughs> I consider those attractions as well. Well, I mean, when you have donuts and ice cream and everything else, you have a full day's <laughs> menu you know, at your fingertips. Oh, the mini donuts. Oh, come on. Who doesn't love a mini donut? I, I don't want to be their friend if they don't. <laughs> Bite-sized donuts with like chocolate dipping sauce? Come on, man. Right. Yeah, because you need that sugar to, to keep going for the rest of the day. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, let's sort of talk about the uh, some of the different attractions, and obviously, 
really what what makes up Typhoon Lagoon is the lagoon itself. It's this it's this gigantic lagoon surf pool that has, you know, six foot high waves that come every minute and a half or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's you, know, you have these 12 basically pre-stressed concrete tank in the back, you know, in the back that is actually creating these raves and they had to do so much work ahead of time and it's and we don't even see it because it's covered by that dam it's covered by the mountain and but it is it's, it's a massive amount of energy to create those rave, waves and what's cool about the pool too is you can get a different experience there depending on where you decide to go right you want to get close up you're going to get hit with some massive waves you can actually surf there you can take yeah. surfing <laughs> lessons if you want to go uh early in the morning or i think sometimes in the evenings you can do it as well and then as you get farther back, your experience differs. And if you go to sort of the, the all the way the back or the front of the pool, they have mm-hmm. these sort of two sort of beach islands where you can just sort of maybe, you, I don't think you could put your chair in the water, but you can sort of sit in the water and just sort of lounge around and, st- and sit and be cool. And what I love, man, is getting a chair on the beach. You can watch the kids play. Mm-hmm. You can hear the surf. You can watch uh, the, the Mist Hilly go off. Like that's one of my favorite places in all of Typhoon Lagoon. Definitely, yeah. And you, if you get close enough, you can see all that action. My dad is – this is the reason he goes to the water park. Like I've tried to get him to Blizzard Beach and he remembers River Country, but Typhoon Lagoon is his park for those waves. And like he, he is there every time they're going off because he wants to be part of it. And so to watch him, it's like watching – you know, he's, he's in his 60s now, but it's like watching a 10-year-old boy. I mean he's out there having fun and you know, we, you know, I've even found they cost a pretty, they cost, they cost a pretty penny, but the beachcomber shacks also give you that great view on the side of watching all this action, and uh, that is the heart and soul of the park. Yeah, I've I've never actually done the the shack because usually my kids just want to go and be you know doing the the rise, and usually the argument ensues like they want to go and do crush and grusher for the seventy seventh time, and I'm like guys, yeah. let's just go to Castaway Creek, let's just lay down, <laughs> let's get Relax. a little tube. Right, because you've got this awesome lazy river that goes, and it probably yeah. takes you know twenty twenty five minutes, maybe mm-hmm. a half hour to go around the entire park. It doesn't matter where you get on, it doesn't matter where you get off. You just grab a tube and just sort of you can either float or kind of walk or swim or whatever it is. But that's what I dig, man. Just getting my like you know little inner tube, but just sort of floating around for a while. Yeah, and then you get right near the waterfall, and you make sure you aim somebody appropriately and bump them into it. Um, it is. It's. It's. That's the great part, to, you know, of that park is. Is it goes. It's. I think it's like a little over two thousand feet of of this great uh, trail, and it's, there's misting effects, and that is the way to relax at the water park. That is how you spend your time at that water park. You know, probably about right around lunchtime after lunch, just just to relax a little bit. And what I dig too, and Disney, I think obviously they're in the family entertainment business. They 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 excel at this. I think more than any other or brand or destination, is how they have areas specifically not just for families but for adults and for kids too. So I've been coming to this park since my well since before my kids have been born. So when you have a place like Catch a Kitty Creek where you have to be under. 48 inches, so I can basically still go. Uh, it's a kid's area, right? It's off to the sort of the, the western side. Mm-hmm. There's their own sort of mini slides and their own raft rides and, and bubbling jets and, you know, spray areas and the tugboats and whales and seals and, and a little sandy beach. So they can get the same type of experience without having to worry about mom and dad going, well, we want to ride this, but, you know, little Louie can't. Yeah, and it's, you know, and even for the the you know smallest of guests, you know, a lot of the slides are these little foam hills where if they fall, they're not going to get 
scraped up like you are in the concrete and plastic around the rest of the park. And it's it's so child friendly. And it, it there's obviously been a, was a lot of forethought into how they were going to make that work and how and, and how great of an area that would be for kids. Yeah, and the, and the cool thing too, man, is that there's such a wide variety of different types of experiences, right? Mm-hmm. So when you think water park. You know, I don't want people to think, oh, it's nothing but, you know, gigantic water flumes and water slides like Crush and Grusher, because it's not, right? There is the Castaway Creek, but there's also things like, um, you know, Keelhaw Falls, which is, again, that sort of roaring rapid thing. There's Mayday mm-hmm. Falls. There's Gangplank Falls, which I really like, which is a family rafting yeah. adventure. You get that really, right? You get that really big raft. I think you can fit maybe. What, six people or so? I think it's six, yeah. Yeah, maybe four to six, somewhere. I guess maybe depending on your people. Uh, how big your family is. Right? You can fit, I think, four to six. Um, but it's a family-friendly type of, quote-unquote, rafting adventure. Right, and the, you you have the, the storm slides, which is the body slides. And, you know, again, have great names like Jib Jammer, Stern Burner, uh, Rudder Buster, um, you know, and and even some of the walkways, you know, like the Forgotten Grotto and the Overlook Pass, which give you these great views around other areas of the park, or these, you know, you walk through the caves and you get this that feel of this is a real environment, this is a real cave I'm walking through. You know, it's 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 all right there. Yeah, and there are places like that too. Like even if maybe everybody else in your family loves the the water parks and the water slides, maybe you're not. There's actually places like um, Hideaway Bay, which I think you see called Out of the Way key and and the the mountain trails where you can just sort of wander around there's great photo opportunities as well there too so i think even if you're not a water enthusiast there's places you can go and never have to actually touch water if you don't want to right i mean even if you know let's say you you don't you know you want to see the the fish and the sharks but you don't want to get wet you can walk through the sunken tanker. You can walk under, you know, look through the portholes and see the the creatures in the lagoon without ever actually having to get wet yeah, so you you alluded to the, the the shark reef, which is a saltwater, which also means that it's unheated, uh, mm-hmm. a saltwater reef that's filled with stingrays and leopard sharks and tropical fish, and you can actually go into the the shark reef tank. And we talked before about sort of this this overturned um, steamship. That's where it is. Have you ever done the uh, the, the shark reef experience? I've done the yeah the, just the swim across piece. I've never done like the actual like the SAS adventure where you you have a thirty minute kind of surface air snorkeling kind of a thing. But I yeah I've done the, the swim across with the sharks and you know the, the heart races and and it's a, it's an incredible experience. Uh, you know you can't stop. You have to be able to swim all the way across. But it's it it's incredible to to be that close to some of these creatures. Yeah, so you can do, like Ryan said, something called the SAS Adventure, which is a half hour, it's called surface air snorkeling, where you get a a tank with a little regulator and a buoyancy vest, and you can sort of experience the shark reef um, in in a very different way. And there's a a slight additional cost uh, for that experience, but I've done it before, and pardon the accidental pun, it's very, very cool. And I don't just mean Mm -hmm. the water, but the experience itself is very cool. Yeah, definitely. It's it's. You know, I've never done the SAS, but any, but if you can get in that tank, you know, and it's usually not a very long line because there's not a lot of people who, well, in the high summer, there's probably a long line, but there's usually not a lot of people who who are interested in swimming with sharks enough. <laughs> so for a long time before uh, Crush and Gusher came to be, Humonga Cowabunga was really one of um, the the hallmark attractions there. These sort of three enclosed speed slide fumes, like. 
you cook, man. Like you're going down yeah. five stories. You're hitting like 40 miles an hour when you go down. Right. And I can I correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe when the park opened, they weren't even enclosed. You had that one area of tunnel where the caves were. But I think when you first started down, there was nothing holding you in. <laughs> um, and it and it is. I mean, it's you know, we, we all know the you know, the, the wedgie slides and these are most certainly wedgie slides. <laughs> But like we said, they're, they're not all that way, right? There's the uh, the right. storm slides are cool, which is um, like the body slides where you can get. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I think it's probably three hundred feet or so. Uh, there's Mayday Falls, which is where you go through the caves and the waterfalls. That's the the longest slide in the park. And then I think we mentioned Keelhall Falls uh, yeah. and the base slides too, which is more body slides for some of the younger kids that maybe aren't too small to go to Catch a Kitty right. Creek. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a ton of slides and you know you consider even when you do the storm slides there's really three different rides there because each of those slides is is very different than from one another so it's one of those repeatability kind of things you can go back and you can try all the different slides you want to get all those experiences yeah and of course no day at typhoon lagoon would be complete without lots of food and drink of course so there's actually eight different places uh scattered throughout the park uh there's the leaning palms which has hamburgers and beer and sandwiches and pizzas and salad there's some sort of picnic table seating outside happy landings has soft serve ice cream uh typhoon tillies has sandwiches snacks and beer there's and again there's seating here low tide lose which is uh located closer to the, the wave pool section, again, has, you know, sort of grab and go kind of sandwiches and, and um, ice cream and beer and wine and sodas. There's Let's Go Slurpin' now, has frozen drinks and adult beverages, Getaway Glen, Surf Doggies, hot dogs and turkey legs, and the Crush Hot Dog. So there's something, you know, there's places that you can go throughout. Obviously, there's no table service restaurant, but there's a lot of right. counter service and very quick service kind of uh, restaurants as well. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan P. Wilson, that you can bring your own uh, food and coolers as long as you, but you obviously can't bring in any uh, glass bottles, correct? Right. Yeah, they don't want glass bottles. They don't want alcohol. But but you are more than welcome to bring in your own lunch. You know, if the hot dogs and hamburgers and donuts and ice cream don't don't seem filling enough for you. Yeah. And, or, and look, that's a great, you know, if you're looking for ways to save money, as, yeah. if, you, as if you needed 102 of them, <laughs> Disney102.com, um, you can bring your own food. You know, again, if you want something of an adult beverage nature to drink, you do need to buy it there and you can't bring your mm. own glass containers. But, you know, that's the thing. And as a local, you know, Walt Disney World sort of becomes our park. Right. Right. My friend Glenn Whalen sort of put it very uh, succinctly years ago. You know, Walt is when it comes to the park that you go to, you hang out with your family and you hang out with your friends and you can make it sort of a park like experience. Say, hey, let's let's pack a cooler. Let's bring some. Oh, by the way, I would suggest bringing your own towels, too, uh, because otherwise you do need right. to rent. I think you need to rent towels at like two dollars a towel. I think it's there. about two dollars. Yeah. Somewhere on there. So bring your own food, bring your own drinks, or, or bring bottles. You can fill them up with water. Great ways to save money. Bring your own um, towel. I would also suggest, by the way, as long as we're giving tips, uh, grab, your, uh, grab your GoPro or one of those cheap disposable mm-hmm. underwater cameras because those are very, very cool, uh, especially in some of the different experiences there. Um, and, yeah, sort of make it a day. Sort of if you can make it a, a family day. Like I said, we've done meets of the month there where we all sort of just get together, we find a spot, we sort of make camp there, literally and figuratively, and hang out and spend the afternoon together. Yeah, it is. It's one of those great spots. You know, 
obviously first thing in the morning you're you're going to be rushing you're going to be doing crush and guster you know all the water slides but after you know after at some point you're going to relax you're going to have you're going to have your meal and then it's then it's like a day at the beach then you're just kind of relaxing and you know hanging out with everyone going for strolls and just just relaxing and spending time with the you know, people you care about yeah and just some other tips too to get the best the, the most out of your experience is like many of the Walt Disney World theme parks, uh, knowing when to go is important. I don't, I don't mean necessarily times of year, but if you go early in the morning, as in before the rope drop, right, before the park opens, um, that's the best way to not just get a good parking spot, mm-hmm. but to get some of the lounge chairs that are either in the shade or by the beach and things like that. You know, grab your locker, grab your, I sort of, Make your camp first and then go yeah. out to the attractions. You also can think about going too, especially if you're local and if you have the, the you know, a pass that allows you to uh, go later in the day, right? After, mm-hmm. you know, after, you know, two o'clock, three o'clock or so, people are starting to leave. That's another good time to actually get into the park, especially when it has some of the, um, the later hours, like in midsummer. Definitely. And, and one of the great things is the park does tend to typically open the gates a little bit earlier than actual park opening so that you can get over to your spot. You can get everything situated and you're not missing out on time for the attractions. Yeah. And be aware too, that during the summer months, uh, especially during some of the the busier times of year, i.e. July 4th, the park can close and it has closed due to capacity. Mm -hmm. So avoid the potential disappointment. Like, ah, we'll stroll in around 10 o'clock. Well, you might not, you might be strolling to the parking lot and then be told that the park is closed to capacity. So Get there early, uh, make a, a full day out of it. Um, right now, as of the time of the recording, a one-day ticket to the park, and again, there's a wide variety of different ticketing options and what you could add on to your uh, your park ticket. But a one-day ticket, if you just want to walk up to the gate, is $58 per person. Um, and there's also additional add-on experiences, too. We talked about the SAS Adventure, but uh, you know, we said that uh, the Typhoon Lagoon wave pool is really a surf pool, and you can actually take surfing lessons um, okay. right at the wave pool either before the park opens, or I think sometimes they do it uh, in the evenings as well. It's a very, very small group before the park opens. Again, 25 people is the maximum, and it lasts a, a couple of hours, um, and it's only offered, I know, on, on certain days. Believe it or not, Ryan Wilson, I'm actually going to do it. Um, people on the <laughs> WW Radio blog uh, had some sort of a voting thing where they tried to pick something to do at Walt Disney World that I had never done or they had never seen before. So I'm going to take surf lessons Excellent. <laughs> later on uh, this summer. So you do need to check the uh, the official Disney website, and to make reservations, you can call 407-939-7529. Uh, they're, they're taught by professionals. The cost is $165 per person. They give you some uh, lessons on land, and then they take you out on a, on a soft surfboard, and you ride, you know, ride the waves for, uh, looks like, three to four hours, uh, depending on when that you go and park admission not required. So you don't actually need a, a park pass in order to do the, uh, the surfing program. Right. It's all about balance. I've, <laughs> I've, I've seen a couple of videos, people who have, who have done it. It's all about balance. 
this is going to be a horror show. I'm just telling you, like, <laughs> if you need, the, uh, you know, if you need somebody to shoot some photographs, I, you know, I'll, I'd be happy to come. Yeah, uh, the video might actually never see the light of day, <laughs> like my performance in Greece when I was in high school. Um, let's see, what else? What else did we forget? Um, there are the there are some premium seating areas. I think there's only four. Uh, those run about three hundred dollars, but they include. An attendant, private lockers, all-day drink mugs, a cooler with water. Um, obviously, there's lounge furniture and table and, and chairs and things like that. So you can fit up to six guests. So if it's six times into five, doing the math, carry the one. I'm on my ab- abacus. Um, that it's is, roughly about 50 a, per, a thank person. You. Thank there you very you much. Go. I've only had one cup of coffee this morning. So it's not that bad for that type of experience um, because you do have your spot. You do. And look. Between the all-day drink mugs and the lockers and the water right. bottles of water, you you know would be spending a lot of that uh, as well. Anyway, there's also some premium beach chair space as well that you can reserve in advance. I think that's about forty dollars. So, you know, look, it's uh, it can be a quick sort of morning experience. It could be an all-day experience for you, depending on how you and how how and and why and and the type of, of day you want to spend there. Yeah, it definitely can be. It, it's it's. I think it's really like all things with Walt Disney World. It, it is what you make of it. Absolutely. So, all right. So, what's your? If you go to Typhoon Lagoon, Ryan Wilson, and you can only do one thing, if you can only ride one thing, what is it? Ooh, one thing. Um, you know, for me, it's probably Gangplank Falls. Um, it's it's just one of those things where. You get to fit a couple of people, a couple of friends, a couple of family in there, and you all have the you all have the fun together, and you get to see everyone's faces while they're going through it. So it's uh, that's probably where I where I'd pick my time. You know, I agree with you because because like food, uh, Typhoon Lagoon is best shared with family and friends, and and I do like being able to. And it's there's nothing scary, so um, you know no. you can bring young kids into. Uh, but look, even things like Crush and Gusher, where you can have not just yeah. a single person tube, but a double or triple person. Um, I can't even call it a tube; it's like a giant rectangle it looks um, like it looks like a floating eclair is kind of it what does, it looks oh, you like see, you always bring it back to food um but yeah it's uh it, the experience is one that is meant to be uh is shared with people so uh, i dig it a lot uh i love typhoon lagoon i think our meat of the month this summer is going to be back at typhoon lagoon visit the events page at wdwradio.com to find out when i think we've been doing it august um every year for the past two or three years or so and i think we rotate between blizzard beach and Typhoon Lagoon. So, all right. So, here's your Sophie's Choice question: Typhoon Lagoon or Blizzard Beach? Typhoon Lagoon. Nice. It's yeah. It's Typhoon Lagoon. You know, and as and I hope he's not listening. But as much as I've tried to convince my dad to branch out to Blizzard <laughs> Beach, and I think, but dad, there's so many more competitions that we can have over there. For me, it's always you know Typhoon Lagoon. Maybe it's because I was a child when it opened, and I can remember it. Maybe it's the story you know as that, that relates to me. You know. I don't know, but something about Typhoon Lagoon just always draws me back. I'm with you. I, I like it's silly things, man. Like there's something uh, I get a sense of nostalgia from the rock work and the caves. And I and look, I and we will do a segment obviously about Blizzard Beach because I love yeah. the theming and the cohesive story that's there too. But I like the fact that of this sort of rustic kind of abandoned tropical location mm-hmm. uh, I like the attractions there I like the, the food locations there but that's the question I have for you 
the listener. I'm pointing directly to you. I want to know, simple question this week, Typhoon Lagoon or Blizzard Beach? Or for extra credit, you could throw River Country in there. I was going to say, that was going to be the next question is Typhoon Lagoon or River Country? Which way do you go? So tweet me at Lou Mangello, Facebook.com slash Lou Mangello. Call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. Make your case for why you love more one more than the other. And then please also follow Ryan P. Wilson at Maine ST Gazette on the Twitter. I think you're also on the Gram and Facebook and obviously visit MainStreetGazette.com for such a fascinating look, man, at, at the, the history of this park and the ephemera and the nostalgia and all the things that sort of help us piece these puzzle pieces together. That is what I'm here for. And you are awesome at it, my friend. I, uh, I look forward to seeing you on Gangplank Falls. Anytime. It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week. I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see how well you pay attention to the details in what you see and in what you hear. If you think you got it right, you can then enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I was asking about the miniature golf courses in Walt Disney World. I think they're a ton of fun. It's really the extent of the level of my golf playing ability. And by ability, I mean, if it doesn't have a windmill, I can't play it. And I said that in Walt Disney World, there are four different 18-hole miniature golf courses. And all you had to do was name them. Obviously, there were a lot of miniature golf fans or golfers or people that just realized that Arnold Palmer is more than just a refreshing drink here in the South. And you knew that the four courses were Winter and Summer over at Winter Summerland and Fantasia Gardens and Fantasia Fairways over by the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin. Love Fantasia Gardens, has that sort of whimsical Fantasia feel. Fantasia Fairways, much more challenging. Anyway, I took all of the correct entries. Again, thanks to the hundreds of you who entered again this week. Randomly selected one. And this week, again, you are playing for all seven of my audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, including my brand new Tomorrowland tour, which was just released last week. And the winner, randomly selected from all the correct entries, is Lawrence Miles. So, Lawrence, congratulations. I'll send you a link so you can download all the guides right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So I love strolling through Epcot Center, specifically World Showcase in the late afternoon, early evening. I think dusk at World Showcase is just spectacular. And I love just looking at the architecture and the details in so many of the pavilions. And I think one of the most beautiful is Italy. And that's where your question lies this week, because I need you to tell me who sits or stands atop the bell tower in the Italy pavilion in Epcot's World Showcase. That's it. You have until Sunday, May 17th, to email your answer to contest at wdwradio.com. Again, this week, you're going to play for all seven of my virtual audio walking tours of the parks. So good luck and have fun. (laughs) 
that is going to do it for this week's show. Thank you again so very much for taking the time to listen each and every week. I know that you're busy. I know that there's a lot of things going on. So the fact that you share some of your time with me, which I know is your most valuable commodity, I am sincerely, sincerely grateful for. Also want to th- say thanks to many of the new members of WW Radio Nation, including Nathan Greenwald, Dean, Paul, Anthony Gowan, Marin Marshall, Alex, John L., Eric VDP, and Doug Smidebush. Really appreciate you supporting the show and becoming part of WW Radio Nation. If you want to help support the show and receive exclusive benefits, including monthly scavenger hunts, access to our private Facebook group, custom personalized Magic Band covers, logo gear, including backpacks, shirts, care packages, group video calls, and more, you can visit www.radio.com slash support. Again, it's completely optional, but a great way for you to help show your support of the show. And also don't forget that a portion of the proceeds of your contributions will go to the Dream Team Project to help benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. If you are a Nation member, you should have just received the latest scavenger hunt, which is Frontierland. There are 50 questions that you can try at home or take with you to the parks, really help you sort of find some of those cool details and storyline elements that really bring it all together, but that maybe you've never seen before. You can take it to the parks with you. You can do it by yourself, or better yet, do it together as a small group or a family. Again, to find out more about WW Radio Nation, visit www.radio.com support. Don't forget that in addition to the podcast, which you can subscribe to over on iTunes, please join me every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WDW Radio Live. It's a live, interactive video news broadcast where I talk about this week's Walt Disney World news and then chat with you and ask and answer questions of and from you in the chat room. Again, that's every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern at www.radiolive.com. Thanks to everybody who watched last week. I actually was broadcasting live from Tomorrowland, as sometimes I'll go out and take you guys into the parks with me. Also visit the website at www.radio.com, producing some really interesting, valuable, and entertaining content. Everything for kids, by kids, up to adults. There's everything from vacation planning to history and trivia, information about going with special needs from a military perspective, self-shot Tuesdays, crafting, cruise lines, and lots more. Again, that's the blog over at www.radio.com. And you can actually subscribe to it for free and get new blog posts delivered right to your inbox. Also, check out our videos. Subscribe to our free email newsletter where there is exclusive content only found in the newsletter as well as contests, offers, special deals, updates, and information. And you can also download the free app for your mobile device as well. If you have a question you want answered on the show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com or call the voicemail. Be heard on the air at 407-900-9391. You can connect with me at twitter.com slash lumangelo, facebook.com slash lumangelo, or like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Radio. As much as I love hearing from you, I believe that there is nothing, nothing, my friends, that beats a handshake and a hug. And that is why I do monthly meetups in Walt Disney World. Our next is going to be this Saturday, May 16th, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. over at Disney's Hollywood Studios at the Studio Catering Company because it is the first Star Wars weekend. Really looking forward to that. Upcoming meets will be June 14th, July 19th and probably August 30th. Those are tentative. Visit the events page at wdwradio.com or our Facebook events page as well. I also be doing other meetups, not in Walt Disney World, but on the road. I'll be speaking a lot this summer and this fall at conferences to businesses and schools around the country, actually around the world. Uh, the next one is definitely going to be in Fort Worth. I'll be there keynoting at Podcast Movement from July 31st through August 2nd. You can visit lumangelo.com to find out where I'll be speaking. And 
if I can help you build your brand or business or come speak to your business, conference, or school, visit LouMangelo.com. Find out how I can help you or how we can possibly work together. want to say quick thanks, speaking of working together, to Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official. They are my recommended travel provider because it's two I've used for over a decade, and I am so happy and comfortable and proud to be recommending them because of the incredible service that they offer to you and your family or your group or just you at no cost to you. They're over at mousefantravel.com. And little Timmy Foster is still banging away at his royal typewriter and publishing Celebrations Magazine in print and in digital. You can find that over at celebrationspress.com. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, I promise you that, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share links to the current or some of your favorite shows over on Facebook. And please come by, rate and review the show in iTunes. It's incredibly helpful. And thanks to you, we now have more than a thousand reviews in iTunes. Please keep them coming. I want to thank recent reviewers like McGuffin, Fix Picks, James Bearden, MJ Spin, and Crazy Cloyber for their reviews in iTunes. You can visit www.radio.com slash iTunes. It'll take you right to the iTunes store and show you exactly how to rate and review the show. And finally, and most importantly, I give you my sincerest thanks for taking the time to tune in, to tweet, to come to meet, to email me, whatever it might be, because you empower me and bless me with the ability to share my passion for Disney with you, to talk about things and share things that simply make us happy about going to this place. And I want you to feel that same way that I do every day. So remember, every day is an opportunity for a fresh start, and it is never, ever too late to begin and dig in and hustle and start a new journey. So take a step, take a leap, have faith. And have an amazing, amazing week this week. Thank you again so much. So until next time, see ya. Hi, Lou. This is Ron calling from Smith's Grove, Kentucky. I uh, just finished listening to your DSI program about the Enchanted Tiki Room. Um, just got uh, the idea that um, – well, let me try it again. Take two. Uh, just wanted to let you know that the uh, – under new management version of the Enchanted Tiki Room has provided me with the most unique um, Disney souvenir that I have from Walt Disney World. Uh, we went in 2010, September, and when we did leave, or while we were leaving uh, the show, I noticed that some red feathers from Yago fell down from the rafters. I later found out that this was done kind of on purpose by some cast members, or set up that way, but... I didn't know it at the time, so I picked them up and kind of put it in my pocket. Actually, I think it's one feather. And uh, I put it in my pocket, brought it home, put it in a couple of pieces of plastic, and now that that attraction is gone, that feather from Yago, from that version of the Enchanted Tiki Room, is kind of a unique souvenir. No certificate of authenticity, no uh, markings as to what it is or where it came from, but I know what it is, and for me, that's a unique souvenir from Walt Disney World. I just wanted to share that with you. Thanks a lot, and have a good day. Hello, Lou Mangiello. Hello, WDW Radio Alaska Disney Wonder Cruisers. This is Darlene Nagy from West Seneca, New York, and it is now three weeks away from the time that we are going to be arriving in Vancouver, Canada, for our sailing on the Disney Wonder through the 
Alaska waters. Now, there are historic mining and fishing towns, fascinating Native American cultures, fjords, waterfalls, glaciers, and natural wonders, which, oh, I can't wait to see those, majestic wildlife, bears, elk, and humpback whales. Now, I know some of us are going on the whale watches, and then I know some of us are probably doing a train trip or doing a boat bus tour, which I've never been on before and I'm really looking forward to, or just touring the towns. So we've got a lot to look forward to, and this three weeks is going to fly, especially with me going down to Disney in one week for my birthday. So I will be just flabbergasted at everything I'm going to be doing in the next three weeks, and I can't wait to see everybody. And I want to wish all the moms out there a happy Mother's Day, and I want to say that I can't wait to see you all. Um, Hugs to all, stay positive, and see you in three weeks. You've got a friend in me. Yeah.